0: Thank you for listening to season two of spotless breaking the boundaries of television presented by two media powerhouses triple lift and advertising week spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution so you know listen up evolution we came from monkeys now we're humans who knows where we are next you're going to learn something on this podcast
1: One of the 50 vital leaders in tech, media, and marketing, according to Adweek, Kirk is the CEO of Group M North America, where he leads 6,500 people passionate about shaping the next era of media where advertising works better for people. Kirk is also the global CEO of Choreograph, WPP's global data company. Kirk joins Group M and Choreograph from WarnerMedia's Stander, where he most recently served as chief business officer in charge of the go-to-market functions including sales, communications, product marketing, and marketing strategy execution after holding the role of chief marketing
0: officer for nearly 2 years. Kirk, welcome to Spotless. We're so happy to have you here. Hey, thanks Michael. Excited to be here. Just listening to you describe that what I'm concerned is that I clearly can't commit to a single job for <laughs> extended period of time I'm beginning to be a little nervous that uh that this isn't a good uh it isn't a good bio opening I'm gonna have to edit that down
1: <laughs> well congratulations on the the relatively new gig how long has it been now, now that you're in the uh the role at group m
0: nine months in my role at group m I'm still loving it when I started I told the team I, I you know I found you know nothing broken but a lot of really interesting meaningful work to do and remain standing by that it's really been an exciting ride so far. That's
1: great Kirk Um, a a true hearty congratulations and congratulations on the launch of Choreograph. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about this initiative and how you see it benefiting your brand clients?
0: Uh, Sure so um, you know uh, Choreograph wasn't the sort of primary thing I came to WPP and Group M about but I couldn't have been more excited when Mark Reed and and Christian Jewell, when they came and sort of proposed this idea that what they were looking to do was really take advantage of how we could actually simplify our narrative for customers, for our clients that we're working with, and actually improve the overall effectiveness of delivering um, a data through full ID resolution and activation offering. So we launched Choreograph with that purpose, right? We took a lot of the history and robust rigor around data management that was in Wonderman Thompson data, and the platform innovation that was happening at Group M Data and Technology, really around media activation um, suite, um, and we brought those together, and that became, you know, the the data product technology platform offering formed from WPP called Choreograph. The reality is. No one can really predict the future. So, what we've got to do is actually make sure that we have the tools to enable our brands to do more and to be more effective. Um, if we're to live to the promise of being this creative transformation company um, and live to the promise of Group M, where we want to shape the future of uh, media, where it really just overall is much more effective. And we've created this sort of fully customizable data and technology offering, just realizing that most of our clients today who know that. Um, that data, first party data in particular, has to be such a critical part of the currency they use to engage and retain the attention of an important client base and future client base, future customer base. To do that well, we needed to actually stand up this capability and make sure that we're there to help them do the kinds of activations they need, um, where they now take a, a resolved ID and activate it against media. Through partners like like Triplelift and 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 others in the space, um, but also where they activate against creative and activate against um, experiences overall. So we're very excited about what Choreograph brings.
1: A lot of categories of advertisers are starting to look at data in new ways, specifically first party data. Do you find that your advertising clients, you know, particularly as you start to talk to them about using tools like Choreograph? Do you find that they really know the value of their first-party data and everywhere where it's located?
0: I, I mentioned this before, and I think this is the case. Every single client is on their own journey here, right? And the journey is this. The consumer today has more choice than they've ever had before, which forces this sort of shift where before media owners and creators and people in the business of distributing media controlled what the consumer saw, when they saw it, how they saw it. That's no longer the case. That's completely turned around. And it's turned around in such a way that in order to keep relevance for um, a consumer, for you to be the thing they choose to do with high frequency and repetition, as we're all keep competing for that, we're all competing for reach, frequency, and engagement, the brand that is marketing actually has to now use all the tools at its disposal and data is a critical part of that. How valuable is the data I have? Though is is so different because it's just what do I need it to do, and that varies by category and by marketer. Um, in the case of the brands we're working with, that's what we hope we can bring to the table: one, help them figure out how to better collect, earn the right to more data, then actually turn that raw data into a picture, a portrait of what existing and future customers look like, and then actually through tools like our data ethics compass, even help them really think: then how do I activate a conversation where I know enough about my target audience where I can create a relevant experience without creating a creepy experience. Those are the things that we're beginning to see more and more clients do and not just do in the beginning, but they're getting past their clumsy sort of beginnings now and getting really adept at um, engaging in the right environments in the right way, making advertising less interruptive overall and much more relevant um, to the moment that people are in.
1: One of the most exciting things that you've launched since coming into the job, Kirk, is Group M's Responsible Investment Buying Framework. Could you tell us what responsible investment means to you and and, and at Group M?
0: So when I was contemplating uh, the job, one of the things that attracted me most about, about it, again, great platform, great opportunity, work with amazing brands. Members of the team are known for their experience and commitment in the industry on and on but very simply this sentence that says that um, that group M wants to own its responsibility for shaping the next era of media and it was the owning its responsibility and this sort of commitment to responsible media is important to me I do think this is a time where more than ever before period just more than any time before now advertising media that isn't just about growing but about growing, and creating social impact, being intentional about the things that we do, trying to right inequities, um, create new opportunities feels like an important moment. Uh, more and more of our clients are asking us to, to partner with them around this. It isn't that they need even you know direction on where to go. They literally are saying, come along for our ride. To do that well, we needed to really put clear practice and clear purpose around what we're doing. And that's the responsible investment framework. It's built around five pillars. One, commitment to responsible journalism. We just think that more than ever before, you know, supporting truth matters. It needed to stand up and be committed to a, a pillar around sustainability. This is not just, you know, it's not a, a unique to any country or region um, issue. This is a global issue, and we wanted to do that. We knew that it could; those two things could partner with work that had already been underway around data ethics, brand safety, and DEI. Um, we've built out and launched a data ethics compass, brand safety. We've been a founder in the Global Alliance for Responsive Media, GARM you know, back in 2014, 2015, these are big commitments we've made on the brand side. And then DEI was a really important topic now. Um, And under DEI, things like our new majority ready coalition, multicultural marketplace, and most recently, me, the media inclusion, um, uh, media inclusion initiative, uh, are just examples of programs that now are building out underneath responsible investment, You know, with the Media Inclusion Initiative, this invitation to ask clients of ours to commit two plus percent of their investment towards not just targeted Black audiences, but ownership um, of Black, you know, owned uh, media companies are owned by Black um, founders and owners. That's expanding out to be uh, a commitment to diverse media ownership as well as well as a Diverse Voices Accelerator program, where we are going to co-sponsor and support diverse creators, um, all are, to us, meaningful things to do, in addition to still growing our business. And we don't think having purpose behind our advertising compromises the fact that advertising is designed you know, to drive um, growth for our clients. We actually think it complements it and accelerates it. So very excited about that.
1: Well said, Kirk. It's an amazing initiative. I wonder if you might comment on how these kinds of initiatives, coming from Group M and this leadership position you've taken in the marketplace, how that changes the conversation with your your publisher partners, and are you holding them to a new standard?
0: Yeah, you yeah, know, it, it it has so, but in the best of ways, right? So, um, uh, a lot of I'll I'll give you the feedback we've gotten, both from the clients who said, thanks for giving clarity and for catching up or partnering with what we were doing, right? So while we launched a 2% 2 pledge, 2 plus percent pledge and the Diverse Voices Accelerator, it isn't that our clients were sitting around not doing things. A lot of them were doing things. They've said, oh, great. (laughs) Now you've created a, a construct for it. Thanks a lot. That's on the brand side. On the publisher side, they themselves were actually looking at really innovative ways to bring ideas to clients. So all we've done by launching the Media Inclusion Initiative, as long as well as other programs, even like our multicultural marketplace, we've allowed for greater, more purpose-driven dialogue to happen between our publishing partners and our clients. Ultimately, you know, the strength is in togetherness, not as not in divisiveness. So what we believe has occurred is that um, uh, and again, if I call one of our publishing partners, I'm not gonna be able to call them all, but you know, we've had them build out custom programs now to respond to um, clients who are saying, look, we're not just in the pledge, but we want to do something around diverse voices. And a lot of those partners have actually had programs to focus on that. um, And those things are actually creating a, a really nice match right now. So it's been very well received on both our publisher side like i said as well as our client side and and we still think we're just in the beginning big focus popped up recently with one client that was looking at you know lgbtq ownership and and you know we hope to continue to have more and more announcements where we're showing now not just clients stepping up and partnering but the this marriage of clients and publishers um, where what we're doing is just acting our role as sort of a bridge between those two connection points going forward. So more of that to come.
1: Kirk, you're now nine months in the role. So you have been a CEO only during the pandemic times. I wonder if you might comment on how you're dealing with brand clients that have been challenged by the pandemic, like a business like Uber. um, And what are some of the strategies to help them either accelerate change, pivot, uh, or bring their business back to life?
0: You know, I would say that the impact that uh, that most clients had last year was that all the things that they had been looking at as trends um, and thinking they were going to happen down the road, the big impact they had that literally in one week they had to figure out how to respond to those because what the pandemic really did, in my opinion, and I think a few you've heard a few people share this, is it accelerated things that we thought were going to happen in five years accelerated in 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 weeks and months, right? Um, Even our consumer adoption of particular behaviors, like a heavier reliance on virtual experiences like we're even doing now in this recording, um, as well as, you know, stronger commitments to e-commerce. Just from a consumer standpoint, grandparents figured out how to use video conferencing and FaceTime at a faster rate than we expected them to. So all of those things have happened. What our brands have really done is, um, all of them included, they've responded by becoming much more dynamic. Um, they've doubled down on the importance of, of their direct-to-consumer engagements, um, where that is appropriate. And they've uh, where they are B2B clients, they've doubled down on their flexibility and ability to work with their partners um, you know, to accommodate rapid changes, et cetera. So that's sort of been the patterns I've seen. And the we've been glad we've been there again to keep up and partner with them through this um their expectations of us really have been around you know flawless execution improved delivery um so that we can raise the efficacy of their performance of their programs and you know uh i was one of the benefits over the course of the pandemic was there's less of a focus on efficiency like don't you know don't doesn't have to be less cheaper but it does need to work better um, so those have been some of the trends we've seen so far, and, and we're glad to have been, uh, been there to partner in that way. How
1: are you pushing uh, brands to, given that they've had to look at business in a new way, they're looking at new media, how do you push them to think about innovation
0: in advertising kind of coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, it's the right question. Again, I'm, I'm not doing this to just hype the brands and hype the, uh, hype the things they do. I have to credit them. It's not that we're pushing them. Oftentimes, what we have to do is meet them where they are because they're identifying it as well. Uh, I'll give you a great example. So our data ethics compass, you know, the partnership with Unilever, like now the tool is there available for all our clients, but the push came from our client there who specifically said, look, it isn't just about using the data. I want to use the data in a way that does not disrupt or Um, uh, potentially compromise a relationship, that's important to me. Um, And we thought about the fact that, you know, why don't we have a, you know, almost a scoring system for when to use data and how to use data, not just if you can use data. Those are the kind of things that are being encouraged by our clients. So whether it's something like, hey, what is the role of podcasting now in my plan as I think about, adding that to what I do, now that digital out of home and um, seems to be back in the mix as people are coming out of you know, their lockdown and getting around, how do I look at measurement across uh, Converge video, not just TV, but all of my um, video delivery platforms? Oftentimes, it isn't that we're pushing the clients to do something new as much as we're helping them actually understand how to measure it. And to activate the thing that they want to get activated appropriately. So, um, uh, I see the innovation coming mostly from just clients who have really developed a much more intimate understanding of their customer and context, um, realizing that they have to catch up to more real time moments and wanting to actually create through us an ability to be much more fl- flexible and responsive. And, and, and we've been doing that well.
1: You mentioned podcasting, the reemergence of digital out of home. You know, this uh, uh, podcast ultimately, Kirk, is about the future of television. And I wonder if you might comment on you know this conversion that we've seen, consumer conversion that we've seen towards streaming during the pandemic. You know, how um, vital, right, is our streaming platforms to the media mix going forward?
0: The consumer is controlling when we're they engage. Uh, I would say there's also a trend towards um, I heard the term described as, um, you know, sort of like uh, background listening where because we are spending more time in home there. The idea of putting on some media in the background, uh, using it as something to sort of stimulate your senses while you do more things in your in your location, a location that has actually served as office rest and entertainment for the last 16 months and going forward because we now know it can work in multiple dimensions. It's not just where I sleep, it is someplace that I can also do entertainment um, both for myself and now others and I can do work for myself and others. What does it mean to actually support that environment with, with other signals? Media is being consumed differently in that regard. So since I can stream, I can control when, where and how. More importantly, I can also put on different types of sound and or video to add to my environment. Including, I'm cooking, but while I'm cooking, why not listen to a podcast? And the podcast doesn't have to be on cooking. The podcast can be about, you know, about balance. The podcast can be about um, parenting or or management. Uh, so th- the use of media this way where the consumer fields ultimately, not just as their own TV producer, but their own DJ um, for entertainment, as well as their own professor for new learnings um, are all enabled by the fact that they're just more control tools and the variety, the depth of podcast series, um, just as uh, streaming series are all changing consumption habits. And as I said earlier on in this, uh, with that consumer in that much control, Everything about how we engage and respond to them has to be different.
1: You talked about how consumer uh, appetites are, are driving essentially more diverse ways of accessing media, like and accessing, particularly niche media like podcasts. Everyone talks about the streaming wars, right? And who's going to win the, the, the streaming wars. And, 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 and ulti- ultimately, there's an assumption there that we're gonna pick a few streaming services, right? That we're not gonna access a variety of niche content on television anymore. I wonder if you might kind of comment on that
0: dichotomy and, and give us your take on it. So I love the fact that for the purpose of generating sort of interest, we like controversy and we, we love tension. So we sometimes create tension where there is not like the streaming boards. Um, the Stream Wars em- it, it, it envisions that they're battling each other as opposed to just being new ways for consumers to engage using, um, using new platforms. I think the answer is what you said in the question. Consumers aren't choosing one or, they're choosing one for. It's not one or. I'm choosing one for myself and my kids. I'm choosing one because it is more for me to consume content that I think I wanna consume. I'm choosing it because I, cle- I clearly like this particular genre of coverage, um, but I want that and I also want this other one. I'm con- choosing one because it's where I buy everything else and it comes along for the ride, so that gives me access or one is the platform of, of technology I use in my home. Um, but most of the research and data I've sp- seen says that the consumer is gonna probably commit to four or five of these. So it isn't a war where there's one winner and a loser. There's gonna be a different mix of five of these in every single household. And that mix is really gonna be dependent on where the household is in their life stage. So single households or, or, or households with just you know two adults will be different than households with four kids, um, just as older households will likely care about a different mix, and different bundle. Um, The new version of the custom bundle is here, and my household will bundle as as I think is appropriate for me. And all of it, again, is reflective of a consumer in greater control of what they do, when they do it, and who they choose to do it with, and puts a greater burden. That's why I love what we do here. We love working with partners that are also doing their part to own the responsibility of making sure that the media works at the pace and the engagement level that the consumer is asking for.
1: How do you think an organization like Group M has a dialogue with the SVOD services that haven't
0: traditionally been platforms for advertisers and brands? Well, again, the dialogues are well underway. I don't think the SVOD services are all only going to be SVOD. Almost every single one of them are also speaking about launching a version that is AVOD. So there's a lot to be learned there. Also, I don't completely believe that the way advertising works in the future will be exactly what we know it is now, right? So this idea of, you know, I don't want any ads in the environment at all is just an interesting one when the consumer is engaging around ads and when we've surveyed consumers they've not said that they have an adversarial relationship with advertising what they don't like is irrelevant to advertising they don't like predatory advertising they don't like advertising that you know seems to have found one little signal that I might be interested in buying a high-end product and has perpetually bombarded me with that product in in you know in, in an unrelenting frequency <laughs> over the last 2 weeks and that's actually been one week longer than I went ahead and bought the product or now has created such, you know, such negative brand impact. I no longer want to get it from the brand that has actually stopped me. Right. So um, advertisers, uh, sorry, consumers have said make ads more relevant. Um, I think ads are part of the experience. I, I completely think I learn things from them. Um, and when those studies have come out, we never get a lot of press on it. We continue to talk about interactive, interruptive advertising experiences. Um, I think somewhere in the middle of reduced ad loads, more innovation led engagement, We one of the big priorities we've put in place um, is that uh, we've committed to um, this team called our Creative Labs, taking big ideas that really help brands um, use creative to change the overall consumer experience um, this is what I think is some of where you're gonna see innovation take place, even in in SVOT, right? Um, and then really not just doing it just in one dimension, but really starting to do things that involve applications like AR and VR that increase things like commerce and shoppability. I mean, there's so much more to do in these environments. I, I think the debate over SVOT, ABOT is gonna be resolved here fairly quickly. Consumers are not allergic to ads. they really are not. They're allergic to a thoughtless ad experience or an interruptive ad experience. And I think we're getting those things right. That's what we're committed to doing.
1: When you look across the Group M portfolio, obviously there's some, some really big brands and there's some emerging brands. Um, how are you talking differently to some of the companies like Nestle uh, versus smaller lesser-known brands when it comes to innovation and advertising?
0: yeah so uh, the the framing of the question is um, I understand it, but it isn't the way we think about it, right? So I, I don't necessarily think about um, other brands when I'm working with Nestle, nor do I think about Nestle when I'm thinking about other brands as as we as I said before For, for us to be very effective at doing what we do, I've got to meet Nestle where they are or Uber where they are, both in terms of, hey, what do do you have as first-party data? What do you want to do with it? What are the ways you want to have your conversations with your clients? Um, Let's tell you what we see as best practices around those, and then let's give you some strategic advice as to how to do that engagement going forward. Um, Here are the trends we see because your audience for Nestle is not exactly the audience for Uber or based on your size and probably is more driven by your category, what your service or product offering is. So based on those things, we are building a custom strategy that again, you know, sometimes starts with data, sometimes just starts with, 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 with media planning and buying and whatever that strategy is, it's built around the, um, enhancing the current conversation, the current touch point you have with that client, your, sorry, your customer. And then where do you want to take the relationship going forward? So, um, it just is very, I think it's, uh, when we come to a client and start the conversation from, well, let me tell you what big clients are doing. Um, you know, that's that's not necessarily gonna lead to the best outcome. Um, just as if I said to them, hey, here's here's where you're not being nimble enough and where smaller clients are outmaneuvering you is, is not the right comparison.
1: You've taken such a data and analysis forward approach to uh, the market and Gruban has historically. Um, how do you see certain trends like that and the use of data, how do you see that changing the CMO role over time?
0: You know, uh, that's, that, that's really the thing. I, I The title of CMO means so much more now. And I think uh, as someone that had a CMO into a chief business officer title, I've heard chief growth officer titles, ultimately the role and responsibility Is how do I actually, in a more dynamic world, as the world gets more dynamic, how do I go from um, taking the complexities and the dynamism of that world and making it simple and creating simple narratives to help bring a value proposition to life for a prospective customer and create greater engagement? Um, How do I take the tools of data and technology? And then for me to do that, I've got to really understand how data works. I've got to understand what it means to actually pick up. Um, signals, um, I've got to understand what is deterministic, actual real data, probabilistic data, what synthetic data created through machine learning, why those things operate differently. And then what does it mean to take all of that, um, take what could be thousands of points of data dimensionality, normalize all of that, parse it properly, and then turn it into a portrait or a picture of what a customer or client looks like in an ID. Um, and if you're a CMO and don't keep up with those conversations, I don't know how you're successful, just as I think CMOs in the last um, five or seven years even, who weren't keeping up with the innovations and in programmatic, again, the emergence of companies and capabilities like what Triple F brings to market. Um, if, you, if you chose not to pick that up, there's a whole you know, whole sort of wing of, of, of your craft that you've just not paid attention to and then are therefore no longer the right leader for telling your company's narrative. So, um, you know, the CMO today really has to have all of that technical and data capability um, and, you know, and also this business acumen and savvy around growth for them to be very successful in the future.
1: That's really well said, Kirk. We typically like to end our conversation, Kirk, with a, a prediction on the future of television. You talked a little bit about your take on it earlier, but I wonder if you might look a few more years out, let's say like look five years out and tell us um, how do you view the television
0: landscape? I think the video landscape is uh, is converged. <laughs> However, I I do think that You know, this, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. I do think that we're going to probably see more content innovation and creativity um, than we can ever imagine. And I do think that the things I've seen and talked to some of those services about what they're planning to do is very exciting. So I think TV or video, whatever you want to call it, is uh, robust and exciting, and um, I I think we're going to be surprised at how much TV viewing we're still doing five years from now. I I really do.
1: I couldn't agree more, Kirk. Um, So I think we'll leave it there. Kirk, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We're really excited to have you here on Spotless.
0: Mike. Mike, thank you for your time. Um, Absolutely excited to to have been able to be a part today and and look forward to, to seeing you in real person soon.